everybody, this is Tyler Smith, and this is another More Than One Lesson mini-sode in which we are... Josh, I'll, wel- I'll welcome in Josh Long right now. Josh, hey, we're making progress. Sure are. We're getting there. Yeah. When I, when I was first uh, writing everything on the schedule and I realized, oh man, we are going to be doing this for 10 years. Not quite that, but a very one, long time. One movie per year for each of us. Yeah. One movie per year for each of us. That's 20 years. No, no. Yeah. Because we're one movie per year. Yeah, but we've only got 10 movies. You don't get your own year. Oh, I see. Yeah, I yeah, see. Yeah. Okay. Man, this is this is such a waste <laughs> of time and effort. Sure is. But um, but yeah, and so I, I'm, I'm excited that we are almost halfway done. And uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying these. Um, and that uh, maybe you've, if you haven't seen a certain film, maybe you uh, feel the need to, to go and rent it. Um, so last week we talked about Josh's seventh favorite movie of all time, uh, Robert Mulligan's To Kill a Mockingbird. Today, we're going to talk about a better film than that. It's well, one better. One better, yeah, six. It's my one better than yours, which is kind of like like three better when you think about it. Hmm. Well, I don't do much math, so I'm just going to have to take your word for it. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. So I, I'm i just kind of saying what comes to my mind. All right. But that's, uh, that's what math people do anyway, don't they? I kind of think so. We don't understand it, so we're just like, oh, I mean, they're right. making up the rules, so they Imaginary just make up what, numbers, like whatever you say, I guess. Yeah. They just, you know, they're making up the rules, so they can just make up whatever rules makes their numbers work out. Yeah. That's kind of what math is, right? Yeah. I get it. That's why, we, that's why we've never actually been to the moon. Or like exactly never created any of those atom bombs or things like that. I'm like no, that's real. Right. It's all the math people lying to us. Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna become death all over your face, you dirty mathematician. Oh boy, this is this is just ridiculous. Moving on. You're gonna no. It, it ties in because this movie has a lot to do with math. Oh, no question about it. We are talking, of course, about Donald Duck in Mathematic Land, a film that I first watched in my Algebra 2 class. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so... Most of these movies you you saw first in your Algebra 2 class, right? Yeah, yeah. That's how all of mine were, you know? Yeah. We, th- we watched... Because I mentioned we watched To Kill a Mockingbird in high school. We watched it in my Algebra 2 class. Right. Um, the, uh, the teacher did not have... I don't think he knew what... Like what math was? I think he had been hired on some kind of I don't know. I think I think he got the uh, school got some kind of tax incentive fi- for hiring this guy because he didn't seem to know much about anything, but he liked watching movies. Hmm. I I credit him with uh, with some of my you know getting to, you know watching some of my favorite movies for the first time. That's good. Donald Duck and Mathematic Land, right. To Kill a Mockingbird, Blue Velvet, um, uh, Barbarella, <laughs> and of course. The Goonies. There you go. So, rounding it out. I think so far the movie that has has the closest math connection. What? Take a guess. What would you say? Uh, probably Barbarella. No, 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 no. Of the ones that we've done so far. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was just like, as you went through, I was like, well, obviously Donald Duck and Mathematic. <laughs> um, but uh, of the ones, that, let's see. So what? Uh, well, I got to go through here. Okay, so okay, the general. Rushmore, 
I don't remember what the next one was. Maltese Falcon? Oh, that might be it. That might be eight, though. No, no, no. No. Okay. Maltese Falcon, Jules and Jim, I think. I think so. And then I'm starting to get a little a little iffy. The Last Laugh, right? The Last Laugh, The Godfather, Network. And To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. I, haven't really, I wasn't really paying attention. I was just trying to remember them. So you which one you to thinking you... weren't math aspect? Yeah. Which one to you is the most math-like? First of all, not the most math-like, but oh, okay. has the, the math connection. Okay. What's that? I'm going to say it's Rushmore because it starts out with that big math problem. Remember? There you go. There you go. Absolutely. It, a close second is to kill a mockingbird because it, it's got two in the title. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. But you know what? Here's the thing. I would venture to say Jules and Jim because there's a love triangle. Oh, that's but true. we're into geometry now. That's that's still math. It's It all reeks of math. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. So, <laughs> I like these minisodes because I, f- I feel freer to just say <laughs> whatever I want to say. And I'll, you clearly feel that freedom as well. I like the idea that there's a math teacher somewhere who loves this show and like suddenly is able to gather his children around and be like, they're talking about math. Come listen. <laughs> but those, those kids don't listen to that, Dad. I had... So, in, so my math... My, my Algebra 2 teacher, Mr. Simpson, who was, a really, who was a really good teacher and just... And I don't know, he was really good at like working with students and stuff. Um, but he was also just kind of just this goofy old guy and uh when we would when, anytime we would talk about the uh the uh, pythagorean theorem theorem and he would always say that it was invented by mrs pythagoras <laughs> <laughs> so and i don't know why but he always he always enjoyed saying mrs pythagoras i don't know teachers are teachers are kind of weird like they, the, their own the, their own little spin they put on things you got to have something to get you through the endless hours of dealing with children. So. Indeed. And then before that, my, my Algebra 1 teacher, Mr. Timmy, uh, who before being a teacher was in the military for 25 years and retired a colonel, then decided, you know what I want to do is teach children. Wow. Yeah. And he always had a thing where he would... Uh, he would like, he, he would acknowledge that some math stuff seemed counterintuitive. But he would all say, PTFG, play the funny game. And he would refer to it as... A, now, I'm, I'm almost positive that the F is not meant to stand for funny. That um, sounds like something he might have picked up in the military. Yeah, probably. Once again, I'm almost positive that F does not stand for funny. But, uh, but yeah, I remember really enjoying Mr. Timmy. If you got a bad grade, would he say your, your, your paper was funny up beyond all recognition? <laughs> Um, I gave him a, a, a short story that I had written called Sasquatch about uh, <laughs> You've Bigfoot. You've told me about just, Sasquatch. Oh, yeah. I, I tell everyone about Sasquatch. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was like 60, 60 pages, and it was, uh, it was like multiple parts. It was like part one, and here's this and all that. <laughs> the Reckoning. That's like, you got to say something for part four. Part yeah. four, if anything, part four is The Reckoning. I think it's, I think it's good if you start with The Reckoning. Oh, man. And where do you <laughs> go from there? Exactly. Part two is actually everyone's everyone just kind of reckoned everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I gave it to him, and uh, and towards the end, it's it basically just turns into aliens, but with Sasquatches instead of aliens. And so, like these military guys are like you know shooting them, but they're not going down. And so I gave it to Mister Timmy, and he uh, he read it. I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so he came back. And he's like, he goes, 
He goes, it's pretty good. It's uh, pretty violent. I was like, yeah, that was the idea because I basically just wanted to ride Jurassic Park. Um, (laughs) And he goes, "Uh, I've got one note for you. I was like, okay. He goes, well, you know, I was in uh, the military. I said, yeah. He's like, okay. So I understand that the... uh, that the Bigfoots are like supposed to be really strong. I said, yeah. He goes, the guns you have these guys shooting at the Bigfoots, it does not matter how strong they are. They would be basically cut in half. <laughs> and so I was like, mm, okay, noted. And so, and I think at the time my response was like, yeah. So the fact that they aren't should say how strong <laughs> Means they are. They're because pretty tough, right? He's like, unless you are intending on having Bigfoots with like a rhinoceros skin, <laughs> Then uh, wearing Kev- made of Kevlar, right, right, and they're yeah. basically just moving stone buildings, uh, and so I was just like, "All right, Mister Teamy, noted." And then I asked, like, "What what gun should they be firing?" He's like, oh, "Probably this." And I was like, "I don't remember what that is." <laughs> so, uh, and then did he lean in real close and he was like, "Between you and me, I've shot down a Sasquatch before, and uh, they go down pretty easy." Oh yeah, and they taste like chicken. Man, see now you've now nine minutes in. And having not even said what we're going to talk about, which is probably for the best, um, <clears throat> but uh, now you've gotten me started on this whole thing. I am so no offense to you. I'm so tired of that taste like chicken joke. <laughs> not everything can taste like chicken. In fact, like when people say like, "Oh, such and such an animal tastes like chickens," like really because it's much closer to say a deer. But no one ever says it tastes like deer. Nobody ever says it tastes like venison. But there are plenty of animals that probably would taste more like venison than like chicken. Probably. But people always say it tastes like chicken, and it bothers me to almost no end. Now, yeah. you couldn't have known that, but nonetheless, get off of my show. <laughs> well, no, I think it's funny because people say it for everything. Ugh. So to suggest that, yeah, of course a Bigfoot would taste like chicken because everything tastes like chicken. What is That comes from a person who doesn't know what anything tastes like. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's when people they say it as though they're saying like the, like it's the first time anybody ever used it as a punchline. Mm. Ugh. It's like when uh I think I was talking about this on BP when people say stuff like uh So my friend uh who shall remain nameless. Like they say that, like this little turn of phrase that they like they seem like they just learned it. <laughs> and now they're saying now they're they act like they're being coy. It's like I've heard the phrase before. It's fine. And I'm sure the story you're about to tell is not that exciting. But anyway. Okay, everybody. I'm very sorry for that. I f- Again, we take license with these uh, with these minisodes. And maybe we shouldn't. Okay. Too so, late. Absolutely. So, my sixth favorite movie of all time is Vittorio De Sica's Bicycle Thieves. Came out in 1948. Written by a whole bunch of people with Italian names. Um, wasn't it one of them C- Cesar Zavattini? Yep. Is he on there? Yeah, there he is. Oh, I don't know those other ones so well, except for Desica. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. I think I think Cesar Zavattini is like a. F- I think when the time came and the film was nominated for screenplay, I think he was like the only name singled out. But apparently, it has a number of screenwriters. Hmm. And um, and yeah, so when I first, I believe the very first time I ever heard of Bicycle Thieves was in Robert Altman's The Player in which a character refers to a movie called The Bicycle Thief, which for years was how everybody knew it. That that baffles my mind that it was up until we were in, like, college, I yeah, think. Like, people right still called it The Bicycle Thief, and 
it's like you know there's dvd covers that said that and everything and it's like that's that's it's just not called that (laughs) yeah the version i believe the version that i have says the bicycle thief it's just yeah and it's i think this Hmm. is before the the criterion release but yeah but yeah and it's it just fascinates me and now i don't know what happened but like Every single person that makes reference to that movie, it's like, we all got the memo at the same time. Yeah. Hey, everybody, it's called Bicycle Thieves. And now everyone calls it that. There there are not a lot of people that retain the Bicycle Thief. Yeah. It's very... And I think because a title like that, I don't... I tend not to ascribe a lot of significance to titles. Mm-hmm. Some, but not a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but going from the Bicycle Thief to Bicycle Thieves... Boy, that makes a difference. Makes a big difference for this movie. Yeah, and so um, the the basic story is in post war Italy. There's there's this uh, character named uh, uh, Antonio Ricci who <clears throat> gets a job as not not a bike messenger, but he needs to g- go to different parts of the city and put up these posters, and he needs a bike to get there. Yeah. And while he is doing that on his first day, <clears throat> and he's thrilled to have the job. Uh, you know, in in post World War II Italy, I mean, it's it's war torn. It's there's poverty all over, and um, and so he's thrilled to get this job, and and you just see him swell with pride that you know he, he's married and has a young son, and he's just so excited. Uh, and then on his first day, uh, somebody comes along and steals his bike, and in doing so, they steal his livelihood, um, and so. He takes his young son Bruno with him, and they go looking for the bicycle thief. And in doing so, they actually and it becomes more and more desperate as they look for this man. And they, in many ways, I mean, they're looking all over the city. There, it's very unlikely yeah. that they're going to find him. But at the same time, what else are they going to do? Yeah, He's, he doesn't else. have his job, and and it winds up being you know it's, it's odd. Last week we talked about To Kill a Mockingbird. This week we're talking about Bicycle Thieves, both films about children growing closer to their fathers, understanding who their fathers are. Mm-hmm. Um, although in Bicycle Thieves, the the character of Antonio is certainly not as uh, as upstanding, en- maybe or as enigmatic no, as yeah. Atticus Finch. Um, I mean, he's you always know what's going on with him, and it's true. And you know, and you mentioned that he's not quite as upstanding, and. One thing that I think is fascinating, I think that everybody. So okay, so I'm fairly, I'm fairly politically conservative, and as is Josh, and I know that there's, and I think there's maybe rightfully, I don't know if this is true, but there's there's a general assumption that uh, that like the rich tend to be more, and and conservatives in general tend not to empathize with the poor. There's a general attitude of they should be able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and that there's no reason ever to. Uh, to like commit a crime and that the idea of it's like, Oh, well crime exists, tends to exist more in like poverty stricken neighborhoods of cities and, and that sort of thing. And, and we seem to not, again, certainly not everybody. Um, but, uh, and I'm sure it probably happens with, with, with liberals as well. But, um, we do seem to kind of have that attitude of like, well, they should just be able to pull themselves out of it and all that. I feel like everybody, no matter what you're, political persuasion i think everybody should watch watch bicycle thieves which is a wonderful exercise in empathy Mm. um because we do see as antonio and bruno get more and more um desperate we see that antonio is now willing to do something that he would never do and 
I, I mean, I almost feel like, I mean, I don't necessarily want to spoil it, but the movie is very old at this point. And, uh, so, but I, you know what? I won't say all of it, but I'll just say that he's willing to do things that are, that are against the law mm. and, and things that are viewed as socially unacceptable and, and that sort of thing. And so you see that, you know, this guy became desperate due to his poverty and then probably due to somebody else's desperation, due to their poverty, they steal his bike. And so he is then led into a life of, you know, maybe not a life of crime, but he's led to a, into committing a, a very desperate and illegal act. And so you just see, you just see just how sad this all is because he is striving to be a good example for his son and to be just an upstanding citizen. But his, his life and his desperation has, has, I'll put it this way and then I'll qualify it has, has driven him to these, to these actions. Now I am of the opinion that, that nothing drives you to something, uh, that you, you are given a, that you do have a choice. You always have a choice. Um, but, but, and so certainly I do think that what he eventually does is wrong. But as you watch the film, like his being wrong does not keep me from, from sympathizing with him. And it's just a really, I don't know. It's just a film that I think is beautiful. And, and one of the notable things about it is it's, I don't think it necessarily ushered in the era of Italian neorealism, but it is sort of the, the chief example of neorealism. And Josh, can you explain what Italian neorealism is? (laughs) I think I can. Um, uh, Italian neorealism is a style that, kind of, and some of you know this already, but is a a, a style that came up in the uh, in post-war Italy that uh, basically moved away from bigger budget things and more kind of exciting, entertaining type movies, and moved mm-hmm. more towards stories that uh, were shot in a very naturalistic style, very uh, um, mostly on location instead of sets. And mostly dealt with things that people in Italy at the time were dealing with. Dealt a lot with poverty, dealt a lot with social issues. Um, there's a few that are outright communist in uh, in nature, which is interesting. Um, but uh, basically, it was it was a divergence from looking at movies just as a source of entertainment and kind of uh, almost in a documentary sort of way. Uh, turning its lens on the people of Italy and what the people were dealing with, and um, something that the, the, a lot of the things that hit home, and uh, that style, or sorry, with that subject matter, it made more sense to do it in a much more, uh, a much more stripped down style, like 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 we already said uh, on on location. With a lot of times they use non actors, yeah, um, which I think. Are both of these? Are both father and son? Were they both non-actors? Do you know? Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't recall. I, I think. I don't think they were. I don't think they were experienced actors. Yeah. If, if they were actors at all. Yeah. Um, but both the performances are astounding, and that's the thing is if in fact, and the the, the actors' names are uh, Lamberto, Maggiore, Mag, Mag. You're you're Italian. Can you it? say that? Um, Majorani. Majorani. Mamma mia. 
Mamma mia. So, um, so he plays uh, Antonio, and then Enzo. Enzo. Oof, that's a weird one. Staiola, I think. Sta- yeah. Um, so I apologize to any uh, Italian listeners we might have. I don't <laughs> think we have any listeners in, in Italy, but uh, but I apologize for uh, for mangling uh, those those names. But you know, I, I I find myself wondering, like, how. I mean, I you know, I've seen movies with non actors before. I mean. Like John Cassavetes in Faces, for example, uh, used a few non-actors and got some amazing performances out of them. Uh, Lynn Carlin in Faces got nominated for an Academy Award, and she was John Cassavetes' secretary. Um, <laughs> so it's possible. But I find myself wondering... But that's the thing. And she's, and she's required to do a lot in Faces, but she is not required to like plumb the depths of her emotions... And admittedly, the character does attempt suicide, so there's some of that. But, <clears throat> but in Bicycle Thieves, the, the father and son are both required to just, I mean, just run the gamut of like happy, angry, desperate, sad. You know, just, just, you know, just these, just the whole gamut of emotion, and that they are able to do so so convincingly. I almost feel like it speaks to the larger mindset of Italy at the time that they yeah. are so that they seem to so understand the concept of what De Sica was trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's just like, he's trying to capture how a lot of the people that I know and quite possibly myself, how we feel. Yeah. And so it seemed like it didn't take much for them to be able to tap into something yeah. to, to play these emotions. Yeah. It was definitely something that was in the nation, the national consciousness because it was such a, and that's part of where the film came from. It was a reaction against this, the, you know, what, what film had become, which was this very upbeat kind of entertaining medium. Mm-hmm. And these were filmmakers that were saying, this is not the experience that we're, that, that we're having. Like, this is not the, the experience of real life. Right. And, um, you know, as art imitates life, often they, they, they said, we can't, you know, we don't want to make films that are about this fantastical thing we want to make films about what we're you know where we are and what we're in and in doing so it communicates to the people that might be going to see the movie maybe people that are in the same position as as these characters it tells them that you're important yeah your story is just important as the story of you know the knights of the round table or something possibly even more so Mm. and that i the filmmaker care about you and that's that's one of the reasons that i love this film is that it I feel like it empowers people that are in that situation and it also, you know, people that are not in that situation, maybe people that are, that have more money are just so removed from these types of problems. And, and undoubtedly, as we've talked about in other episodes, they have, you know, people who have money have their own kind of problems, but, um, just being able to see this aspect of life that they probably have not seen in a long time and just being able to feel something and just connect with with somebody in a way that I think transcends class. It transcends, I don't know, it transcends of, it transcends upbringing and, and social status because, and I think this is the brilliance of it. It's not merely about this man by having his son there, it becomes this relational thing. And it's, Mm. and this, and his bicycle being stolen is the catalyst that starts this journey in which these two people go on, these this man and his son go on together and i think that's something that everyone can relate to um they may not be able to relate to the specifics of the story but this and especially i mean 
you know, when I think back to like my father, I think, you know, especially if you're a son, I think, you know, you're growing up and you have a certain idea about who your dad is. And then you realize, well, he's not that he's not this, you know, he's not perfect. And you, you think the same thing about your mom, but I think there is something about sons and fathers. Um, and you realize, oh, they're not perfect. They are human. But just because, but that realization does not have to, it doesn't have to disappoint you. In mm-hmm. fact, if anything, it can, it can sort of be the, the, I hate to use the word catalyst again, but it can be the catalyst that really deepens your relationship with, with this man. And I feel mm-hmm. like just bicycle thieves, it's, it has so, it's about so much, but I think not unlike what you said last week with To Kill a Mockingbird, I think because it's centrally about that relationship, um, I think that's why it works more so than anything else. I love the way it's made. I love the way it's performed. I love what it's trying to do. But by focusing in on this thing, having this relationship be the core of the film, I think that's what makes it all work. Hmm. Um, do you have anything else to, to say about uh, about Bicycle Thieves? Hmm. Um. I'm trying to think. I do. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites of of neorealism, but I, I waver back and forth on whether it is my favorite. Um, what other one do you like, Umberto D? I, I really like Umberto D, which is, yeah. and I think maybe the reason I like that one is because it has kind of a more hopeful ending, um, whereas the, the bulk of the of the Italian neorealist films are very depressing. Yeah, um, understandably, but. Uh, I think I like there being kind of a glimmer of hope at the end of that one, but at the same time, that doesn't have, there's no relationship that's like this one between the father and the son. And I, I, I've seen a lot of, of these films. I can't think of another one that has a relationship that's that engaging. Yeah. And, and it's funny because so much, there's not a lot happening, you know, it's one day where they're wandering around trying to look for a bike, essentially. That's, that's, you know, if you were to sum up the plot, that's pretty much it. Um, it is one day, right? Or does it take a place? I'm, I believe one it's one, maybe two days. Okay. Um, but there, there are a lot of other films in the, the, that, you know, seem to be about something more, I don't know, something bigger. Like La Terra Terra is about a, f- a family that runs a, like a fisherman's family and their boat goes down and they have to like figure out a way to, to deal with that, with the boat being done. That seems bigger. Yeah. Um, or... Uh, I mean, Rome, Rome Open City is, it's almost, it uses like a neo, neo-realist style to tell a f- somewhat conventional story, kind yeah. of a, almost a suspense type uh, thriller. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of a neat idea. Right. Um, but yeah, but I think this, and I'm trying to think what other ones I've seen, maybe maybe one or two others, but those are the ones that, that spring to mind first. I've seen, I know I've seen the one that a lot of people consider to be the first one is, I think it's Visconti, the, the film's Ossessione or Obsession. Uh, I think it's a Visconti film. That's from like 46, 44. It's a very short period. It's like 40, 40, whenever that one is until 52, which was when Umberto D came out, which a lot of people consider that to be the last one. Um, but it is. Do you know why it, why it uh, ended? I didn't, I I know a little bit about just from a stylistic standpoint, I know about it, but as far as the history of it, I don't necessarily know. Like, why did it, 
just end. I'm not really sure either. I, I wonder if it's just it was a movement that a few particular filmmakers were interested because you do see a lot of the same filmmakers, a lot of Visconti, a lot of uh, uh, De Sica, a lot of uh, Rossellini, and uh, they're kind of the big three with a few other little ones. So I don't know if it's if it's that there were just these few people who were interested in it, and then after that, um. Not as many people were doing the same thing, or they had moved on to other... I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not I entirely mean, sure. I, I mean, it was a filmmaking style that arose f- as a response to its time. Yeah. And so as they... And its limitations. Yeah. And so as they... You know, it, it seemed almost de- emotionally and stylistically dependent on a very specific era. And as they, as Italy came out of that era, maybe people weren't interested. It didn't resonate quite so much. Yeah. And, it it, and maybe... People just felt like, well, now you're dwelling on something that we would all like to move past. You know, it could easily be that after so many years, they were like, these movies are depressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, could, it could be that. Because yeah. that was their, their cinema for several years. Like, there wasn't a whole lot other than that. And it, it is kind of funny to see that people like uh, Fellini kind of came out of that. Yeah. Because his films are so... Not that like they're rarely couched in reality. There's there's a very fantastical element to most of the ones that I've seen, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of odd to, to think of that. And and I think a lot of Italian film is kind of like that. I haven't seen a whole lot outside of Italian neorealism and Fellini, but I feel like other ones I've seen too, like Cinema Paradiso is one that just jumps to mind. Or there's uh, a whimsy to them. Yeah, yeah. and I. I feel like that's a cultural thing in general. Yeah. Well, I think um, there's a whimsy to Bicycle Thieves. I'm being sarcastic, of course. <laughs> if if any if somebody came to me and said, "Hey Tyler, what's a movie that has absolutely no whimsy?" I'd be like, "Oh, Bicycle Thieves, obviously." <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, I, uh, I guess all that's to say I'm not sure exactly why it ended, but and maybe that's that's one of the things that I find so fascinating about it, uh, about that period and that style, is that, you know, I mean, for, it, certainly I don't mean to imply that neorealism did not influence anything. I mean, it influenced. I mean, I, I already mentioned John Cassavetes. I think it influenced his style. Yeah, and a lot of the a lot of the French New Wave actually came from that too, because yeah. they they saw those. Uh, they were influenced by the style a lot more of of being on location and uh, right. kind of being out and detached from a stagey yeah. uh, set. And like, and that, and so like Godard would, and I think maybe that's one of the things that bothers me about Godard. Although I do, I do like breathless, but I don't like uh band of outsiders um, is that, you know, he took this style, which get, which has an immediate, an immediacy to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he tells stories that are not really that I would venture to say lack depth. Mm-hmm. And so, it's it's it, like he tells stories that are that are begging for style and he doesn't really put a lot of style into them which is it which is an interesting and bold choice uh but i don't find it remarkably uh satisfying personally <laughs> but um but yeah and but that it's interesting because you know any number of modern filmmakers like for example wes anderson would point to the french new wave and say this is an influence on me yeah um i don't know of a lot of filmmakers now that would directly point to italian neorealism and said that's what i want to be yeah and, and i think yet, maybe because it's so inherently depressing i hate to maybe so. i feel like i'm being reductive if i put it that way but like i don't know maybe people just don't want to evoke that maybe and yet i think you know even though you said they might not want to say that i feel like there are a lot that are influenced by it oh no question and about it 
Um, and there are at least some, like I know uh, Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. is, an, is an outspoken uh, lover of that period. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I feel like Woody Allen has said Bicycle Thieves is one of his <coughs> favorite films. I could I could see him Maybe his that. favorite. Mm-hmm. And they talk about it in Stardust Memories. There's one movie where they talk about it. Actually... Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. <laughs> and I seem to recall Orson Welles saying it was one of his favorite films, but I would venture to say, but I would I would say there's not a great deal of influence because his films <laughs> are stylistic above all else. Yeah. Um but yeah, and I do I do remember that in the uh, in the Sight and Sound poll, uh I think Bicycle Thieves was like number 1 for a while really? before they all latched on to Citizen Kane. Mm. Um it might have actually only been because it came out in 48, so it might have only been 52. And then 62 comes along, and then everybody's embracing Citizen Kane. But I think Bicycle Thieves, up until recently, like in the last last 10, 20 years, I think it was always consistently in the top 10. But I don't think it's in the top 10 anymore. Really? Um, but I, I might be wrong about that. I don't have it in front of me. But I honestly can't remember. I feel like I'm, I, I don't say really because I am remember it differently, but it just seems like it would be surprising that it's not one of those. Yeah. But and it is, who knows? And it is just a movie that, like, you know, those listening at home, like, if if you haven't seen it, make it a big, make it a priority. And I know that we say that about almost, I mean, we we can and probably will say that about every movie that we have talked about. I mean, I think. Yeah. Of the top ten lists, you mean. Of our top ten, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, No, like, Struck by Lightning. (laughs) Go out and see it. Avatar. (laughs) See it right after. Um, But it's just... uh, I don't know. It's. I'm trying to think. Like, if there's any movie in my top ten that I would I would tell someone to like proceed with caution, like hmm. recognize that it's maybe not for everybody. Um, yeah. I mean, I would instinctively say that about you know Last Laugh or something like that because of the era. Yeah. Um. But if you like, but it, that's the thing. If you like movies at all, not, pardon pardon me, not at all. If you appreciate film, I think. All of I think every movie in our top ten is something that you should seek out. Yeah, and some of them, and I mean, maybe this is one would be you may your your viewing of it may be a little more informed if you know a little bit more about what it is. Yeah, and then when you can think of it in some kind of context context rather than just this is the movie I'm watching tonight, I think can can help to enjoy it more. Um, I don't I don't know that any of these require that. Yeah. But I think sometimes if you're, ex- you could go in expecting one thing and it's, it can be helpful to know that it's not. And you know, there's a part of, there's a, a weird part of me that feels like you shouldn't need historical context mm. about things outside the film. Cause when it comes right down to it, the, the film is the only thing that's going to stand on its own. Like all those facts can burn away and the film is just going to be there because yeah. not everybody's going to do the research. Yeah. Um, and so in that sense, does the film hold up? And I think, yes, very much so. I think it's still just as powerful. Um, I think, you know, when you when you realize, oh, non-actors, or a response to the times in which they live, okay, Bicycle Thieves is, is very powerful. But I think it's still powerful. Even if, you know, if it turns out that the two main actors were seasoned actors, well, they still managed to give incredibly naturalistic performances, and that's, in the end, that's really all that matters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it is something that I think you can appreciate it more 
the more you find out about it. But the same could be said of almost any, yeah, almost any film. That's true. Um, especially if it's one that people deem has historical and social significance. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, all right. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we've made the film sound uh, enticing to you. Um, that's the other thing is in talking about these, you know, last week I said, Oh, I got to revisit to kill a mockingbird. And this time it's just like, I, it's been a couple of years since I've seen bicycle thieves. I should, I should throw that in. Cause it's such a casual watch. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, all right. Next week, uh, I will be doing a, uh, a real episode. Unfortunately, Josh is not going to be here for that. So Sorry, everyone. I'm sure everybody's very disappointed. Eh, maybe they are. I don't know. I guess I just assume they're not. <laughs> That's a joke, of course. Uh, but I will be having a guest host, and it will be uh, Robert Hornack, who's been on the show before. And uh, we will be talking about the Ryan Johnson film Looper. So it's always fun returning to uh, a film that uh, people have actually seen. It's <laughs> just like, hey, here's this bully documentary <laughs> a couple weeks after uh, The Queen of Versailles. Like, it just... <laughs> Every once in a while, you got to do an Avengers or a Looper or something just to just to guarantee that you'll get some clicks, just to get people in the seats. So, and of course, what's the companion film? Why it's Tarkovsky's Solaris. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh boy! And I wonder why my numbers aren't up. You're either going to get people fascinated in a movie that they don't know anything about, or they're going to turn it off halfway through. I cannot like, tell you how many people say that. Wait a minute. Is this one going to be Russian? Yeah. I can, and you know what? It'd be, it'd be just as easy for me to go with the, uh, the Steven Soderbergh, George Clooney Solaris. And yet somehow, nah, don't do it. Somehow I feel like I don't, you know, you owe it to everyone. And it gives me, that's the thing. I was supposed to watch Solaris on my, uh, on my break, but, uh, I did not get around to it. Um, and now, because I've because now I'm announcing it here, that means I have to watch it by the time I record that episode. That's true. So I, I function very well with a deadline. Well, good. But uh, anyway, so all right. But that Blu-ray looks fantastic. I know, and I've heard actually that uh, the Criterion Blu-ray is notably different than the DVD because in the DVD, Criterion did a color correction that actually was not supposed to happen. Really? Apparently, the film had a bluish tint, and they color corrected that. And then uh, I think the the estate, the or the studio, or something like that, uh, distributor said, "No, no, no! That is how Tarkovsky wanted it. He hmm. wants it with that kind of sheen on it." And so I think they put that back on uh, for the Blu-ray. So makes me want to see the Blu-ray. Yeah, very exciting. So. Um, all right, so if anybody has any uh, questions or comments about this episode, um, you're welcome to email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com, or Josh, Josh at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, and yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.